Hi everyone, welcome to the Biopharma Dispatch Podcast. We're racing one out today after the Senate endorsed the new PBS pricing framework bill. Uh, I think it's the National Health Amendment Enhancing PBS Bill or something it's called. Uh, so we're going to ha- have a, cha- a chat about that, what it means. It was an interesting, brief but interesting exchange in the Senate. We are also going to have a conversation about, well he hasn't announced it yet, but uh, Greg Hunt's retirement from politics seems to be accepted as fact. Um, he must have told his colleagues, I suspect, so he may as well have put on Facebook. But uh, I'm joined, delighted to be joined by the chair, the co-founder and chair of Better Access Australia, Felicity McNeil, PSM. And we're going to have a chat about the bill. We're also going to have a little bit of, bit of a chat about well, the mechanics of ministerial change. So what happens and what might the portfolio need? So hi, Felicity. Hi, Paul. Lovely to be back. Yeah, there was a really good uh, response to our first one about the parliamentary inquiry, so I thought you'd be the ideal person to speak with about, well, this bill passing the Senate this morning. It was an interesting exchange. It did look at one stage that it was going to make it through just on the voices, and for those of you who are new to Senate process, it's pretty formal. They introduced the bills first up this morning, uh, and it looked as though it was going to make it through nice and easy. And then Senator Patrick Rex Patrick from South Australia, crossbencher, stood up and said, "I have some questions, please." And so they had to set aside some time. They went into what's called committee stage, which is really just the Senate. It just looks a little bit different because what happens is a senator just asks the government representative a series of questions. Senator Jane Hume was representing the government. I think she's a junior minister in the Finance or Treasury portfolio, and she was supported by what looked like a ministerial advisor known to most of you. So it was an interesting exchange, Felicity, and I think we learnt a lot as a result of Senator Patrick's intervention, possibly more in that 15 minutes than we've learnt in the last 15 months. Absolutely, and as a community representative, Paul, we'd, we'd like to thank the Senator for taking the time to ask the questions. Um, as you're aware, Better Access Australia had been approached by um, a number of patient groups and also some companies expressing concerns with the bill and what it might lead to. Um, my PSM, I think, is for saving $20-odd billion out of the PBS, so I'm not one to stand against anything that delivers efficiency into the PBS but we did support the fact that there were some consequences intended or otherwise and people didn't know and didn't understand and wanted to hear about it. Um, Unfortunately, uh, it would have been great to have had more time, but what the Senator did do for us today was ensure that there will be some reporting back to the Parliament. Well, we had 15 minutes of questions. Imagine what what we get in a day, but unfortunately there wasn't enough support to have a referral to committee. But we did learn that there is a secret list. We did learn that the $1.9 billion in savings was calculated based on this list of medicines. We know from the government that the list is both potentially misleading but also accurate. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you and I have already had a chat call about the fact that the Department of Finance, I'm sure, was tearing their hair right, going, we better check this one. Uh, and we know that the government is now under some pressure to make that list public, a list that should absolutely be made public because what we also learned is that some recently listed medicines are going to be impacted by these catch-up reductions, which range up to 37% on 1 April 2023. I, I do, and I agree. And I think the challenge for stakeholders and for the parliament is that uh, the time with which a question or notice is responded to is within the discretion, really, of, of the minister, uh, the pressure of proroguing. And it was only a commitment to possibly 
give that list out, not yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and that's always a worry, the question on notice thing, because they tend to sit in ministers' uh, DLO's desk for a long time unsigned. But they, they, it is a, they can be pursued on this now. The Senate can pursue them on this. Absolutely. And I, given that there were a number of companies who are concerned about their individual medicines, their individual listed brands, I think it's a great opportunity for them to go back in and for Medicines Australia to support them and say, show people which medicines are impacted. More broadly, you and I have talked about this in recent works is the importance of parliamentary scrutiny. It is the home of uh, our, our democracy. It is where our patients are directly represented. Yes. Uh, all 20, almost 26 million Australians, but p- patients are represented uh, through their elected representatives as well. And I think what we saw this morning was the power of scrutiny. We had one senator asking a government representative questions that they found it hard not to answer. And we don't usually get that. And... I thought it was a. I thought it was a very, very uh, informative and instructive fifteen minutes, albeit short, but it was fifteen minutes of information that we wouldn't otherwise have. I uh, agree, and it would have been great to see uh, a more robust or extended time period on it. Uh, we were also approached by patient groups concerned about the increase in uh, the price of medicines with respect to those patients that have medicines that are under $4 that are uh, general patients. Unfortunately, that hasn't been discussed and what that might mean and how many stakeholders, how many patients might be impacted. That's been a long conversation on the PBS. Um, I know what the Guild's talked about with respect to the we're the fourth highest in the OECD for cost medicines. So I think, you know, we're, we're some of the slowest in the OECD for listing medicines and we're some of the highest prices. Well, I don't know what you're worried about, Felicity, because I've been assured that pharmacists will absorb this increased cost. I don't know. I think I'll take what that was. <laughs> I mean, the fact that people are even arguing that is outrageous. I think to expect small business people to absorb government-mandated price increases, let's set that aside for a second. But what we've got here is a bipartisan poli- political commitment to high costs. Now, if we, if we accept that there are supply constraints in Australia... Something that, by the way, should be scrutinised by the parliament and by yes. parliamentary committee because that's how you get to the bottom of those things. Th- then is this the best way to fix it? And you and I have talked about, well, why don't we just extend the community service obligation? Why don't we reward companies for doing it? Why don't we analyse, you know, require, mandate certain things other than sort of this very strangely, what is a strangely worded six-month stockholding commitment, but also... You know, the, the Act doesn't enforce that. The, the new bill basically is just a punishment for not doing it. Absolutely. And I guess the thing for me is if we really think shortage of supply is a genuine issue in Australia, it's a bit like we say timely affordable access is and we guarantee 24-hour supply around the country. I don't say because you're a concessional patient, you get it for free and general patient, you pay for that. I pay the wholesalers to do that. And that's what the government's commitment. The, the problem with this solution is that some patients will get that service covered and some patients will be made to pay for it and that's not really equitable in our system. I think also we have to to challenge and, and explore and I wish the parliament had explored what this genuinely meant about supply shortages because people were frightened last year. There was a lot of misinformation out there. Um, so how much of this is real? How much of it is just circumstance and an opportunity to rectify some pricing inequities or concerns? And when you look at things like the critical infrastructure bill, there was a massive debate on that one within the parliament over the last nine months. And one of the key areas that that bill was looking at was is health supply in this country. So I'm watching two different parts of the system, two different departments do completely different things that seem to be contrary to each other's objectives. But hey, yeah, I think the, 
the the copayment issue is, is an interesting one. The general rate is now forty one dollars thirty, which is incredibly high. But but for most people who don't have concession cards, and that's over fifteen million people, it's it's a high cost drug scheme. Now the PBS, if you, if you're on cholesterol lowering medicine or antihypertensive, a lot of diabetes medicines, pain, and if you need antibiotics or mental health drugs, if they're fortunate enough, fortunate enough to have one that's actually reimbursed, you are you are accessing that with no government subsidy. Yeah, it's really only highly specialised drugs for for which you most most general patients are accessing or, or receiving any subsidy. The- they fifteen million out of the out of the two hundred million subsidised scripts in this country go to non concessional patients. Yeah, I mean the the PBS for, for for general patients is often an insurance policy. It's a bit like the extension of my private health insurance. If I need cancer treatment, um, I've got private health insurance, and I'll get to go into John James Hospital down here down the road. Um, if I need cancer treatment, the PBS will fund that for me because, and I will only pay forty one dollars thirty, and I'm incredibly grateful. Maybe maybe there is a principle at play here where the intended consequence of this change is higher out of pocket costs for some patients, and that should rightly be scrutinised by the Parliament. It should. And I, I guess I reflect back on multiple parliamentary inquiries um, about the affordability of medicines, uh, whether it's been related to passages of bills for the PBS or for the medical benefit schedule as well too. It's a constant conversation that is had, which is out-of-pocket costs. What, what do we mean by that? And we just put them up for some people and no one talked about it. Yes, the Marie Antoinette's attitude to this issue has really shocked me, to be honest. But let's move on. We are anticipating the announcement from Greg Hunt that he will be retiring at the next election, not contesting his Melbourne. Well, it's barely Melbourne, isn't it, Flinders? It's down on the peninsula there. He's been in Parliament for twenty years, which is a, which is a long time. He'll yeah, be well done him. Well, he he was elected in two thousand and one. For people who've been around for a while and understand parliamentary superannuation, he's going to be very glad that he was elected in two thousand and one and not two thousand and four. <laughs> <laughs> Free Mark Latham. <laughs> Free Mark Latham. He's been a minister for for the entire a cabinet minister for the entire term of this government. Eight years. That's 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 a long haul across three portfolios and two very contentious ones. And almost five years in health. So we'll, we're going to talk about Greg Hunt's legacy over the months ahead, leading up to the election. But I'm interested in your experience as a former senior official on the transition to new ministers. It does lead to a lot of change. I've always thought there's nothing more ex than an ex-health minister that 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 the day after a health minister leaves the portfolio, it's it's a bit like who's that? <laughs> Who remembers Susan Lee and Peter Dutton and I do. Tanya Plibersek and Nicola Roxon and Tony Abbott and Kay Patterson and Michael Waldridge and Graham Richardson? This this things change. People move on very very quickly. But there's also there's also a material change. We're heading into a really interesting time. Greg Hunt was as a senior minister in this cabinet, and do you think that what what will the appointment reveal to us? So. Uh, like you said, Paul, I've 
I've um, supported four ministers uh, in the health portfolio, both for changes within terms of government and changes of government and changes of who is in government. So it covers all the the bandwidth of that. One of the things that, uh, having also come from the Department of Finance, is that we're about to move into a period of fiscal consolidation. Um, There is a big debt to be paid off and at some point we're going to have to start paying it. The thing that always concerns me in health is that health is seen as an expense. So when I look at roads, infrastructure that's seen as investment when I look at education that's investment but we always focus on health as an expenditure that has to be cut there is simply not the recognition in this country that health investment leads to productivity gain and it's a big step that needs to be had what you need when that time of of life comes around is a strong well-informed senior minister who can have the fight in the room. It's not just about your ability to understand the portfolio. It's your ability to understand the game that is the fight for resources, the fight to prevent price cuts or, or budget cuts, and to actually go in and and keep health growing um, and not be cut. And we've seen many policies over the years of uh, reforms to the health system, straight out cuts or increased costs. That reflects a minister and their priorities and a minister and the empowerment that they're given by the Prime Minister. I want someone strong. I want someone who knows the system inside and out in government um, and can actually get in there and fight for my portfolio. Yes, Greg Hunt, into health was a sideways move yeah. for him. So he brought to the portfolio an understanding of cabinet process and decision-making. He had established relationships with colleagues around the cabinet table and understood the budget process. He's also served time on the Expenditure Review Committee, which is a very, very important role and unusual unusual for a health minister to be on that, for spending ministers to be on it. <laughs> so... Maybe the last thing we'd want to see or something that might send a signal, a worrying signal about health in a period of fiscal consolidation is a junior minister or even someone from outside the ministry being promoted into the portfolio. Yeah, it it is a concern. That's not to disparage anyone and the capabilities that they bring to the position. It's about you have to know the game. And you have to be seen as an equal and, in fact, greater than an equal to actually have that fight in the room because it, it is really dangerous in respect of health is just, like I said, it's seen as an expense. It's not seen as an investment. So you have to be able to fight. And if you don't have that experience, if you don't know the game, then the game overtakes you. You also have the risk, which is that, you know, if you come in and you're new, the people that you're most reliant upon for the first six or nine months is your department. So we are your gateway into understanding, advocating, fighting, understanding processes. A minister that's experienced looks at me and says, yeah, that's great, Felicity, but also I want to look at this or I want to do this or this is what I'm going to do. And that's important. I need a strong minister. I need a minister that sees that I'm there to give advice, but I'm only one source of advice and they're there to represent the people and it's their party, their government, and they're in there for the final fight on where will we put resources. It's understanding that. That divide is is important for stakeholders to to understand. It's interesting because maybe there's not a lot of stakeholder understanding of the challenges a spending portfolio faces in government decision making. One of the aspects of the PBS that makes it quite unusual is that the health minister is constantly rolling up to cabinet asking for more money, and that's that's quite unusual across government. It's hugely unusual, and it's not even just that you're showing up to Cabinet. I mean, this this program is allowed to spend money every month, and every now and then we then go back and consolidate it. 
Most programs in government come to Cabinet once and then they come back in every four years to report on how they're doing and maybe ask for, for more money. Uh, the PBS is that thing. It's the really annoying child that comes to you every Friday and asks for more money because they want to go to the movies. It's like, I just gave you your pocket money two days ago. That's the PBS. They're, that's the CFO every day having to look and say, what? Oh, there's more. We've done another $65 million on this. Hang on. I just gave them $120 million last month. Yeah, but we've just had to make, do some more listings. It's completely different to almost any other program in the Commonwealth. I did roads. I'd go in and ask for my $2.8 billion for, for a road and you wouldn't see me again for another five years. That's the, that's the challenge for a minister. They're constantly having to get on that agenda, the cabinet agenda, to, to ask for what are pretty substantial sums and, and that makes it a challenge for, for anyone coming from within or from without or not from within the, the ministry or from having had, not having had that extensive experience of, of decision-making. You need an advocate in the portfolio and someone who's highly, highly effective at that advocacy and is able to balance that. And over the years, maybe the central agencies have monstered ministers in the health portfolio every now and then, and that would be the worry, I think, going beyond the next election is that that signal of a that, that appointment who it is regardless of whether or not there's a change of government that's going to be a, a really clear indicator of where the really most senior levels of government see this portfolio as the budget goes into a period of fiscal consolidation absolutely if, if you have a strong minister then the minister for health is responsible for health if you don't have a strong experienced minister in health then the minister for finance is the minister for health <laughs> that's right my, my old boss one of my old bosses, Michael Wooldridge, always said that too often ministers and health ministers in Australia are ministers for health financing. Yes. And they're not actually health ministers. And he's an example of someone who was high, came into it, not with ministerial experience, but with a very clear vision of what, what he wanted to do and was highly effective and very influential within the portfolio. One of the first things stakeholders will have to do is say, well, this is how Greg Hunt operated and this is how we worked with him. This is how the new minister sits in the ministry. The ministry list is very formal too. They're ranked, aren't they, according oh, to yeah. their experience. So if they're down the bottom of that list, I... Where they get to sit on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 uh, we, 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 might, we might need to worry. But, but it, it, has been an interesting, it has been an interesting week more broadly. We've seen this bill pass. We're expecting the announcement of Greg Hunt's retirement or planned retirement sometime today and kudos to him it's been a long time in what is a, a, a very difficult portfolio uh look 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 at what he's had to do in the last two years whether people agree or disagree with some of the decisions of this government is irrelevant they have worked extraordinarily hard through a pandemic crisis and minister for health has probably been front and center more than anyone else in the country i wonder if people realize the demands on people like him his electorate is really poorly positioned in relation to Melbourne Airport. I'm sure his electorate doesn't think that. <laughs> but but in terms of just the, the 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 challenge of the demands on time that they that they face that yeah it's a two probably you might have an hour and a half two hour drive to and from the airport airport every week and that that on a Thursday or Friday night must be quite brutalising. I, I don't want anyone. I'm not saying that we all should, should all feel sorry for for them, but I do I do think we always have to take a moment to reflect and be thankful that people are willing to put themselves forward to be elected and to serve and to take all the appropriate <laughs> associated with that and the, to do it for such an extended period. He certainly deserves a break. And as I said, he'll be very happy that he was elected in 2001. 
Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and look, and I think that is the thing we, we tend to in politics focus on the salaries and the, the allowances and all these things. These people spend most of their time away from their families. Um, they spend a lot of time travelling. They spend a lot of long hours doing things. And I think we've really seen that in the last two years through through the COVID crisis um, and COVID pandemic management. So, you know, thank you to him for his service. Yeah, and certainly he is someone who would have earned a lot more money in the private sector than he's than – in his political career, but he's been able to have a significant influence over two decades. So congr- congratulations to him. But Felicity has been a very interesting week. Parliamentary inquiry, bizarro parliamentary debate or lack of on this, on the changes to this public health program. Rex Patrick stood up and finally asked some questions. And as we've said, in 15 minutes, he got some really interesting responses and it only highlights the importance of scrutiny, and now we have what certainly appears, as I'm starting to get embargoed press releases about Greek Hunt. <laughs> the the what we have is a is a, a minister who's about to announce his re- retirement. So it's been a big week. It's not quite the end of the year, but we're certainly getting there, and and I think it's going to be an incredibly interesting 2022. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> Thanks for listening.